This is Dennis Ramundi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg. Our podcast, Spirit Matters, found at spiritmatterstalk.com and everywhere else you can find a podcast online. We are there. And uh, it's being recorded in uh, December 2020, the end of a very eventful and memorable year. Uh, maybe not all good, but uh, we're hoping some good comes out of it. And also, uh, real quickly, and we'll mention this at the end, if you want to keep us on the air, uh, we, we operate uh, on no budget, but we are asking if people would like to contribute, not a donation because we're not a nonprofit, but they'd like to contribute, please do so by going to our website, spiritmatterstalk.com, and there's a bread button to push there. More on that later. We're thrilled again to have on our show uh, Andrew Harvey. He is an internationally renowned religious scholar, writer, teacher, and the author of more than 40 books. His latest book, Radical Regeneration, Earthing the New Human in the Age of Extinction. Uh, Andrew, thank you so very much for coming back on our show. Oh, uh, I'm glad to have you. And, Andrew, it's great to have you back. Um, we well, are all conspirators. <laughs> yes, we are. Um, uh, and we have our books, the our latest books are, are very similar, um, dealing with uh, crazy times. Um, with, um, uh, and most of the time, we like our guests to uh, recount the origins of their spiritual path. We did that on your first visit, so I would encourage listeners to go back and, and listen to uh, Andrew's uh, origin story. Um, <laughs> but uh, today, let's just uh, jump right into what you're up to now and, and the new book. Radical Regeneration is a very provocative title, and the, and the uh, subtitle, perhaps you'd like to explain, what uh, gave rise to it and what is the essential uh, mission there? For 20 years, I have known that the world would be plunged into a global dark night, a major Kali event, and that we would have to live through the most savage and terrifying destructuring of the structures of cold, evil, and hubris that we have placed so devastatingly in place and that are now destroying nature and threatening our existence. And for 20 years, I have been raging in the wilderness of the obscenely dissociated new age to try and wake people up to the horrific danger that we are in on every single level. And for 20 years, I've been pouring out work that deals with different aspects and different potential solutions. What made me write this book was a crystallization of my whole lifetime's experience in a vision of humanity going through this global dark night and not dying out potentially, but being born into a new level of embodied divine consciousness. So when I wrote this book with Carolyn Baker, we actually wrote it last year in its second draft. 
And then came the event. <laughs> then came coronavirus. And the world was shut down. And we both recognized that this was the event that signaled the most devastating period of ordeal that humanity would ever have to face, a period of radical evolutionary ordeal. So we rewrote the book in an exhilaration of intensity. And the fundamental message of this book is this. You have got to stop pretending that the world isn't in extreme danger. Because at the moment we have five intractable crises that are all manifesting with tremendous intensity at the same time. We have a pandemic which is far from being under control as the latest discovery of a potential variant reveals and could very well end up killing millions and millions of people and be the first of a whole series of pandemics because as everybody who follows environmental science knows, the, free, the unfreezing of the tundra will potentially unleash all kinds of germs that have been hidden there. We have a climate crisis which is in desperate shape, desperate beyond words. I'm in touch with the UN, I work with the major environmentalists in the planet, and all of them are tearing out their hair because so little is being done by a culture that persists, either in denial or in the fantasy that if we just readjust a few things, we can solve it. We can't. We have to make major revolutionary changes within the next nine years, the Secretary of the UN announced if we're going to have a hope in hell or heaven of not being flattened in every way by the collapse of the climate. We're in a crisis of the massacre of wildlife. A million species are on the brink of extinction. This comes from the UN report and the WGO report. And it is a desperate crisis because we have no idea what will happen when, for example, the predators in nature disappear, a whole collapse of systems, what's called collapsing truth happens. And it's devastating what we're looking at. We have a potential global economic crisis caused by the pandemic, but also caused by the inherent fragility of the fantasy that is capitalism. And this isn't just an economic crisis that could radically destroy the whole system that we're working in. It could be a, a massive break, far greater than anything that was experienced in the 20s. It will make the 20s look like a walk around the park, 1920s. Not only that, but the absolutely dreadful and obscene and blasphemous and ridiculous and appalling gap between the mega billionaires who are flourishing in the pandemic and the millions who are being deprived of jobs and now of houses and are being fed a pathetic $600 as if that would pay for even a month's food. It's unspeakable what's happening. And we have a major spiritual crisis that is overtaking mankind. What Paul Levy, the brilliant genius who I love as a person and whose books I admire, describes as Wetiko, the 
North American term for a soul sickness that is the deadly radiation of terminal narcissism that is afflicting mm -hmm. the whole of humanity. And when you face those five crises, there is a nothing that you can say, but that we are now in a global dark night process. Andrew, if I could ask you, uh, I, I agree with everything you've said. Uh, the difference between you and me is in the subtitle of your book. Uh, you are obviously an optimist birthing the new uh, human in the age of extinction. I, I guess I've focused more on the extinction of Homo sapiens, <laughs> and I have been less optimistic. I am well, begging this is you. What the book is for? That's what I'm Make me. I'm an optimistic person. Uh, inject me with some optimism. I am neither an optimist nor a pessimist. I'm a mystical realist, and because of my own inmost experience. I know one very extraordinary thing about the dark night process. I myself lived through a horrible and shattering 10 year dark night in which my life was threatened, in which the life of my husband was threatened, in which I was denounced and humiliated publicly, in which my back was out, in which I experienced directly the naked forces of evil on every level, including demonic evil. So, not only have I been through in the inmost way what is now exploding over the world, but I've been through to the end and beyond the end. Because like many of the classical mystics who went through the dark night process, it birthed me into a wholly new level of divine truth, divine compassion, divine understanding, and divine presence. And all of the major work that I've done in the last 20 years comes out of the Andrew that was birthed, having been multiply crucified. I was very lucky because I entered the dark night process with Rumi as my guide, someone who'd been through a terrible dark night and being birthed as the greatest prophetic mystical poet of humanity. I was very lucky because I was already steeped in Christian mysticism and I understood, at least mentally, the extraordinary importance of the dark night on the mystical path. And I was very lucky because I met a great teacher called Father Bede Griffiths, who himself had been through his dark night and had been birthed by that dark night into an absolutely astounding secret that is at the heart of all of the great mystical systems. The secret that the dark night is not the end of the path, the annihilation of the path. The dark night is the place where the seeker who is sincere is systematically taken apart and destroyed by God so that the authentic divine truth of the divine self can be born. And I have known for 20 years that this terrifying comprehensive crisis would happen. And this has governed all of my work since 2000. But what I've learned from my own dark night experience and from my exploration of the great evolutionary mystics like 
Angela Silesius and Sri Aurobindo and the great Kabbalists and the great Shaivites, all of whom I have been studying intensely for years because I wanted to have what I'm offering in this book, a comprehensive lucid map of the dark night process, which has never been given, but which we're giving in this book. And what I learned from them and from my own inmost experiences that just as the divine presence cannot be installed in someone who hasn't been first crucified to be resurrected, despoiled of their false self, to be born into their real self, so now humanity has come through Kali's savage grace to the potential cusp of the last stage of Kali Yuga. In 2008, I met one of the great Kali mystics of India. She lives in Benares, she's ancient, and she's hidden. And through a series of friends that I have in Benares who love my work and honor my crazy intentions, I got to have a conversation with her. And I said, I just led straight in, I said, where are we in Kali Yuga? And she said the following. She said, Kali Yuga is going much faster this time because of the insanity of the human. And it's all being speeded up. And there are fundamentally four stages in Kali Yuga. And this is all laid out in the book. The first stage is dangerous. The second stage is awful. And the third stage is severe. And the last stage is lethal. And we are now, she said, in the severe stage when crises are erupting beyond our control and if we don't change radically then the lethal stage will unfold in which kali will dance out our destruction and end human life on earth but then she said then this was what was really moving she said but there are two versions of what happens in the last stage the first version is the orthodox version of total destruction. The second version is that the extremity of the tragedy and horror that is visited scientifically, surgically, with relentless precision upon humanity will potentially birth a wholly new level of human being, an embodied divine level and this is secret knowledge in the kali mystical tradition if i could ask andrew what are you looking for what should we expect to see to see this breakthrough to go from uh, one extreme to the other well it's actually all written in the book so i recommend that you read it but i would i would be honored if you did what we will it, it's this has been worked on, I've been working on this for 30 years, so this is a distillation of everything. That reminded me of a conversation that I'd had with my great teacher, Father B. Griffiths, and I'd made a film about him, he was the greatest mystic of the 20th century, and I'd come in on the last day of filming, and he gave me the map that he'd been given prophetically about what was going to happen. And in it, he said, there are three possibilities. The first is that humanity will wake up, fall on its knees, beg for transfiguration and be saved. That won't happen. The second is that humanity will continue in its horrific addiction 
and destroy itself and a great deal of nature. And he said, that's very likely given what we're seeing. And then he smiled and he said, but that's not what I believe, what I've been shown will happen. And then he said, what is going to happen in 20 years, this is 1993, is that humanity is going to go through what will look like the end. It will look like the end. And it's a classic dark night, because in the dark night, it does look for a long time like the end. You experience every kind of dismantling and horror and suffering. He said, but it's not going to be the end. He himself had been through a dark night, remember, and he'd come through to the potential, this new divine presence, which was transfiguring him. And then he smiled again and he said, look, the second coming is not going to be the return of some avatar. The second coming is going to be the rising of divine love consciousness in millions of beings through the experience of extreme deprivation and tragedy, just as in the dark night, you are stripped clean of yourself to be erupted into a wholly new level of divine presence and power. The same mystical evolutionary event is going to be global. And at that time, he said, there will be needed on the earth those who have been through the dark night, know the structures of the dark night and know that it's not potentially the end. If you can align with those laws, surrender to the process, it will birth you into a wholly new level. And then I plunged into the study of evolutionary science because as you know, there's a great endless discussion in science about how evolution actually works. And the great scientist called Stephen Jay Gould has really proposed the theory that is most accepted now, and that is that evolution proceeds not gradually, but by extreme convulsions, which threaten the species with either extinction or radical new adaptation. And he gives a wonderful example of fish who left the toxic sea that they were in because it was getting more and more poisonous, jumped out into a totally unfamiliar dimension and were gasping, 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 gasping on the hot sand in this new air without any organs really to be able to survive. But through their very endurance, they developed the organs that actually later turned those fish into birds. They became another species. Andrew? Yes. Uh, can I jump in with a, a question? What's well, I'd love to answer Dennis's question. Can oh, okay. Yeah, go ahead. Dennis, once you see that this is possible, mm -hmm. especially if you're experiencing it yourself, because I wouldn't have written this book was I not experiencing this embodiment process. And I talk about the path to this, which is the first time it's ever really been given. There are glimpses of it in different traditions, but I've been working on this for 30 years, and now the path is there for anybody who wants to take it. What you begin to develop is what I call birth eyes. In the middle of the horror of the death, there are all sorts of amazing signs that are already appearing. The first sign is that hundreds of thousands of people are going through a radical divinizing embodiment process right as we speak. 
And I'll just give you one example, the epidemic of Kundalini awakenings, which is really an epidemic. It's as if the mother has decided, damn the teachers, they're just babbling their usual popcorn nonsense and damn the churches and damn the religions. I'm going to intervene directly. And literally hundreds of thousands of people in the last 30 years have had major Kundalini awakenings. And the Kundalini is one way in which the embodiment processes open up. The second sign is that during these last 30 years, the major teachers have been concentrated on embodiment and on the great traditions that honor embodiment. So a whole slew of extraordinary teachings and sacred technologies are now available for the first time in human history to everyone. The third sign is that all over the world, there are radical, inspired, spiritual activists, sacred activists arising. Think of Greta Thunberg and the Extinction mm -hmm. Rebellion movement. Think of what happened when Black Lives Matter exploded. Think of what's happened to hundreds of millions of people, really, in the States through the terrifying exposure to the shadow of Trump and the Republicans, the renewal of faith in democracy, of passion for democracy, of hunger for democracy. Think of what's about to happen with Biden coming in. For the first time, there will be a climate change panel and there will be devotion to making serious changes. Whether there'll be enough, we don't know. But for the first time, that's there. Think of the immense growth of consciousness of the danger to animals and the passion for animals that's growing. So there are, amidst the horror, there are the lineaments of the new global, compassionate, embodied, passionately involved, sacred activist, divine human appearing. It's fragile, it's fragmented, it's not united, but it's here. So nobody who has even half a birth eye can't say it's not possible. It is possible. I'm living it. Hundreds of thousands of people. I, I don't know them all, but I know many of them. I've met thousands of people who are living this big transformation. Andrew, so I, oh. I'm very, I'm not hopeful, but I am passionate about this opportunity. I would guess, um, judging from my own experience of uh, how people have responded to, to my work, um, and you've been at sacred activism for a long time, you have a big platform, I'm guessing that the response of people in spiritual communities um, has been mixed. And I'm, I'm curious how your message with the new book and with sacred activism in general has been received. I can see some people saying, oh, Andrew, you're being alarmist. You know, it's all in divine hands, it'll be fine. Uh, and I can see people saying, oh, we're spiritual, we're above all this, why are you bothering us with this worldly uh, stuff? In, in the realm of Maya. And I can see some people saying, Andrew, don't worry about it. It's all inevitable. It'll come. We don't have to do anything. 
Am I correct that you get those responses? And I'm sure you get some very positive ones as well, but please oh, address God. those. Oh, God, but I, I expect those responses because I think that the modern spiritual world is disgusting. <laughs> I think that it is an absolute web of stupidity, corruption, denial, and narcissism. I have for 20 years been saying similar things and they couldn't get rid of me, but I was treated as a marginal <laughs> flake. Now that they are beginning to see, even, even the spiritual world is beginning to begin to begin to understand that prayer and good vibrations might not be quite enough when there's a pandemic, a climate collapse, an economic collapse, because a lot of them are pampered middle-class people who are quite comfortable in their own lives a lot of them haven't even don't even understand that this country is consumed by racism and greed and corruption so i don't put my faith in the spiritual world they're not my readers most of my readers are people who've either gone through terrible experiences or people who are active in the world and want some deep spiritual foundation to give them more strength I wash my hands of this spiritual world because I found it to be a place of what I call the inner Hollywood. A lot of the teachers are just spouting the same old, same old to become famous and appear on Oprah. <laughs> I have seen it all. So that doesn't worry me at all. I expect it, in fact. But the funny thing is, Phil, that... Ten years ago, I was treated as an endearing English eccentric who somehow wrote better books than he should. And now, because even in the spiritual world, to my intense surprise, there are people who are realizing that the guru system is now corrupt because of all of the scandals, who are realizing that thinking of this world as Maya is not quite enough because here we are, here this world is. It's a manifestation of the divine, not an illusion. And who are really waking up to the agony, the horror of it, because it's touching them. They're not able to go into their narcotic trance. They're not able to go into their mantra mumble because they are, parents are dying of COVID, they're losing their money, their tidy little retreats with their lovely little yoga cushions <laughs> underfunded, and they're getting that the world is burning. And I bless them because better late than never. And they are turning to the work that I've been doing in droves. So I, I've got a much larger audience than yeah. I have. Well, well put, and I wanted to ask you, uh, you referred a few times to 20 years ago, this sort of hit you, it sounded like like lightning, or you had this yes. deep insight. What was it that happened 20 years ago that really triggered this insight? I was in Arunachala, the sacred mountain of Shiva in South India. I was born in South India. Mm -hmm. And I'd had an overwhelming and mystical experience, which was an overwhelming experience of joy. And I went to Arunachala to thank Shiva. I thought, well, if I go and thank him, He'll give me an extra joy, you see. That was <laughs> a bonus. A bonus, because I'm being a very good boy, but it didn't work out like that at all. And what happened was that I started to walk around the mountain at night, and I was feeling blissful, and then suddenly out of the shadows came 
stricken poor people and they clutched at me and they told me terrible stories, suffering, 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 suffering. And I went on walking, but everything was being torn apart inside by the agony because I could, it was almost as if India was belching out all the horror that is also India. And I came to a crossroads and at the crossroads, there was an epileptic that was strapped to a board and that man was screaming a horrifying scream and something happened which I can can't really describe but it was as if I had had glass walls around me all my life some transparent but still glass and they were shattered and I completely lost any sense of who I was I couldn't even remember my name and I started to walk in the battered stones next to the road and my feet were bleeding. I couldn't remember where I was or who I was. And it's the only time it's ever happened to me in my life. And an old man came up to me and he said, excuse me, sir. Shiva has struck you down and you cannot go on around the mountain. I will take you back to your hotel. And I said, well, I, I don't remember my name and I don't know where I'm staying. He said, oh, don't worry. We'll get to the taxi and we'll go to every hotel. There were only three in two <laughs> at the time. So they found my hotel and he told me before he left, and I never saw him again, he said, you must not leave your room. You must not leave your room. And I took him seriously because I realized he was, in a sense, a messenger of Shiva. And so I went up to my room and I just said the mantra, Arunachala Shiva, Arunachala Shiva. And three devastating days followed. The first day I lived through everything that I'd been through in this incarnation, and I've lived through many, many horrors. And I lived through them again, but I understood why they had to be there. So it was a marvelous sense of this precise surgery that the divine is doing to you through your karma and through your suffering. The second day, and this is very hard to describe, but it was as if, I was shown, and I was open eyes, I was shown a film, a divine film about what was about to unfold upon the earth. I was shown a city with smoke everywhere that I recognized when it happened. It was obviously New York. I was shown refugees. I was shown bombs. I was shown horrific wars. I was shown what I later recognized to be the Rohingyas in their hundreds of thousands. And I was shown cataclysm after cataclysm after cataclysm after cataclysm after cataclysm. And at the end of that day, I was so paralyzed with heartbreak and so stripped to the core with agony at what was about to unfold, because I knew that Shiva was showing me this, that I just fell on the floor and just cried out, you've got to save us, save us, save us. And I started to recite Arunachala Shiva again. And then I went to sleep and the next day I woke up and the entire mountain was covered by a tender red gold light. And everything I saw was covered by this tender red gold light, which in the mystical texts is the light of the transfigured matter, of the transfigured world. And I was seeing it. So I was given in that experience the full enchilada of horror, but also the birth that comes out of that horror. And I understood that the rest of my life would be dedicated to helping people on the one hand 
open up completely to the horror, not to pretend it's not happening, not to give sophisticated metaphysical explanations, not to rush into their fancy practices to avoid feeling it. Because when the dark night happens, you there's nowhere you can hide. There's nowhere on this earth that people are going to be able to hide from what is about to unfold. Yeah. On the other hand, to the possibility of this astounding birth that I myself experienced okay. in my own self through that. Let's turn to that then, Andrew, in the few minutes we have left. Um, I, I'm sure you'd agree uh, that anything good that comes of this dark period where we've been in um, is not inevitable, and it's not, oh, uh, and it's not no. written, and it's not going to go on without no, efforts. No. What would you have us do? You speak of transformation, transfiguration, transmutation, but what, and what would you have us do, those of us who care, those of us who are after our own uh, spiritual unfolding, but care about the world and care about uh, the people who are suffering more? What would you call for? The first thing I would have people do is realize that we're in a mystical evolutionary event and that the dark night is either the end, if we don't align with it, or potentially a birth canal of a wholly new kind of species and embodied divine humanity. And to realize that this is not something that I cooked up, it's something that's known at the core of all of the great authentic mystical traditions. And they may not know that because for the last 40 years, we've had a completely polluted, idiotic mysticism being sold in the bazaar of the new age. That's the first thing they've got to wrap their minds and hearts around. The second is that at the heart of all of the great mystical traditions, there is this vision, this great secret of the potential birth of the divine humanity out of the womb of history. And that this, again, is not something I invented. You find it in Shaivism and Kabbalah and Aurobindo and the great evolutionary mystics of the Kabbalah and of Christianity. There it is. It's there waiting for someone all of us to get real about it but what it costs is giving up this fantasy that the world is not real that the divine is not in the body in matter in the depths of creation the whole creation is unbelievably sacred the body is the last to be transfigured because it's so dense and difficult but it can be Bede was being transfigured, Jesus was transfigured, Aurobindo was working on the transfiguration process. The mother plunged into it, Satran, we have examples, they're there, find out about them. Don't indulge your addiction to transcendence. Transcendence and eminence are one, and the one is asking for total union with you. So get on with it. <laughs> and the third thing is that there is a force now on the earth that can shift this horror. And that's the force of sacred activism. Because what's been born partly through the work that I've done, but not, of course, I haven't been the only one doing it, but there are about 15 of us who sweated in the beige trenches of the new age <laughs> to get over a vision of the kind of activism that could be divinely inspired and informed by the greatest truths and laws of mystical reality so that there could be human beings who were prepared to give and risk 
everything at this crucial moment to bring in the new. So what people are being challenged with at this moment is to get real about the dark night, see that it is potentially the birth canal and do the work to understand that at a visceral level, to get with the great secret that we've unleashed in this book, but has been known, but this is the first time it's been presented in this way, the secret of their being, this embodied divine destiny understood by the great evolutionary mystics and to align with the truth of sacred activism by stopping indulging your fantasy of transcendence, by getting real about the agony of the world and starting calmly and wisely and guidedly to risk the appalling stupid comfort that you're mired in now, which is going to be detonated anyway very soon, and start really listening to the great mystic prophets and putting your life and everything that you have and are into sacred service, guided by your deepest heartbreak, guided by your deepest sense of the suffering of the world. And if enough people do those three things, we'll have on the earth a group who are absolutely pledged to radical regeneration and the birth, and they will be able together to do extraordinary things because they'll be guided directly by the divine field. Whether they will save humanity from self-destruction, nobody knows. I asked the Dalai Lama three years ago because I've been talking to him about these things. And he himself gave secret teachings on the transfiguration stream in Tibetan Buddhism. So I was there and it was astounding because they've been working on this for a very long time, for a thousand years. And I asked him in the corridor, I said, Your Holiness, can humanity get through? And he said, I don't know, and nobody knows. And then he smiled and he said, prepare for the worst, <laughs> but work tirelessly for the best. Wow. I don't you think that's a better motto. That is so, uh, you called yourself a mystical realist. I always call myself uh, a pragmatic mystic. That, right. what he just said, you actually hear uh, sports coaches say, uh -huh. you prepare for the worst and, and hope for, for the best. best. Yeah, usually they say, actually, usually they say, what I like about that was what I've usually heard, and we should wrap it up in a minute, is, uh, but, but what, what a great note to, to end on. I've usually heard, uh, uh, prepare for the worst, but hope for the best, but prepare for the worst and work for the best yeah. is, is much a better way of putting it. Well, that's what the new age is doing, isn't it? It doesn't want to talk, think about the worst because it feeds it. What garbage that is. If you've got leukemia, you bloody well better face it. You have no hope of curing it without facing it and knowing about it. So stop it, you idiots. Exactly. And then second, they're not prepared. The spiritual world is still still sampling little hors d'oeuvres from the different traditions and <laughs> eating the whole meal and they sure as hell most of them are not working tirelessly for the best and how can you call yourself a truly awake or spiritual person unless you've learned the fundamental lesson of all the great mystics which is that you're given these sublime experiences not to rest on your cushion and think of yourselves as superior but to make you a slave of love in action to give you the guts the courage the energy the passion 
the peace, the focus, the ruthless truth, to be able to go out and tell truth to power and work tirelessly on behalf of the suffering planet and suffering animals and the great majority of human beings who are now in terrible inner and outer circumstances. You don't have the right to call yourself spiritual until you're sweating for justice and compassion and really, really pouring your life out to serve the birth of a potential new humanity. Don't tell me that you've seen God and if you're not doing that. And don't tell me about your experiences if they haven't led you to turning up as an authentic sacred activist. It means nothing. Beautifully a fair. fine <laughs> way to end. Uh, great way to end. Great way to begin. I'm sorry to do so. <laughs> we, we have to have, I have to say this. I know <laughs> Phil and I, have a, we have a different style, but I am not anymore holding back about anything because the time is much too late to play patter cake, especially with the privileged, narcotized, incessantly idiotic, so-called spiritual world. Well, Andrew, your voice is much well needed right now, and I'm glad uh, you're out there doing your thing. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much. Lovely to meet you, Dennis. Keep, God bless thank you. you. Keep up the good work, and uh, I hope we can uh, join you in this uh, good, good fight that is oh, ahead. Awesome. You've done wonderful work. You know, it is. This is not an illusion. It's something so much more extraordinary than an illusion. If the birth of divine humanity is possible, then this is the crucible of a very glorious potential manifestation of God. And that's worth giving your life for. And uh, we're recording this on December 22nd. It will probably not be posted until after the new year. And we hope we, uh, the new year will, in fact, be a better year, but it will be as good as we all make it. So, it will uh, be far worse and far better. Good. At the same time. I That's how you. she works. Yeah. Thank you, Andrew. Bless you. Bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you.